The Small Business Rundown is the official podcast of the National Federation of Independent Business, the member-driven voice of small business. NFIB and our members advocate to keep America's small businesses strong and independent in Washington, D.C., all 50 states, and the nation's courts. Welcome to the Small Business Rundown, your inside source for small business news and analysis in Washington, D.C. and state capitals. I'm Adam Temple, NFIB Senior Vice President for Advocacy. This week, we're joined by U.S. Congressman and NFIB member John Duarte. Congressman, welcome. Hey, Adam. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, we, we appreciate the time. Just a little bit about the congressman before we get started. His family has proudly farmed in California's Central Valley for four generations. He spent his life building a business, Duarte Nurseries, that provides approximately 1,000 jobs in California's Central Valley. And today he grows almonds, pistachios, and grapes, among other things. Despite sleepless nights and overcoming challenges such as navigating red tape like waters of the United States regulations, he's been able to build Duarte Nurseries to where it is today. Congressman, I'd like to start uh, with just by backing things up a little bit and ask you, from the perspective of a small business owner, um, obviously there's a number of members of Congress, but having that perspective, why do you think it's important to have small business owners run for and serve an elected office? Well, I've been at small business for a long time. I can't be a career politician because I've been in private business for 33 years since coming out of college, and I grew up in small business with my parents. Um, being in agriculture, the nursery industry. So it just brings an experience of diverse um, challenges, keeping the business open, going through good times, bad times, dealing with taxes, dealing with regulation, um, dealing here in California where I live with very onerous laws and uh, that seem to get more ridiculous every day and make mm-hmm. it tougher to to keep our business thriving and, and create jobs and create opportunities. So I believe that as a you know, 56-year-old, fairly boring businessman farmer, my perspective was needed in Congress just, just for the common sense on-the-ground experience I've had. Right, right. And if I could dig into waters of the United States, one of those regulations that we know you have dealt with, you spoke about it at a hearing last week. Um, can you just explain a little bit for the listeners your business's experience with WOTUS, um, WOTUS being short for Waters of the Re- of the United States, um, and how your situation was handled by the Army Corps of Engineers and DOJ and other regulators? Sure, and I'm going I'm to give you the simple version of it, then let you let you go in. Because I call it peeling the onion. There's always one more layer, <laughs> and then I can cry a little more, and then there's another layer, and we can cry more after that. So right, right, okay. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll keep it at ten thousand feet, and they can can drill down deal um so waters of the united states um would lead the listeners to believe they're they'd be imagining waters um well they'd be wrong there um not everything that's considered to be a water of the united states is typically even wet hmm. and in the situation i had with the with the waters of the united states and the army corps of engineers is we we planted wheat in the field that has small pockets around you know grassy picture grassy rolling hills not flat, not low, and a few pockets here and there of what's called a vernal pool, which is a place the mud puddle occurs for you know, a week or two after rains. And there's some different biology that lives in these little depressions, fairy shrimp, which are more popularly known as sea monkeys, um, that have been around for 300 million years. And we probably could get rid of them if we wanted to, and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we planted wheat through this field up in Tehama County, California, that has had wheat planted on it dozens of times before with the same type of tillage, 
depths and implements that we use to plant our wheat. So the Army Corps thought that we ripped it really deep. Now, if you're going to plant wheat, you can rip it, you know, four inches deep, seven inches deep, certainly less than a foot. Mm-hmm. And you can plant the wheat, and the wheat's a little grass crop, and it'll grow just fine in that amount of opened up soil. If you want to plant almond trees or walnut trees or grapevines, which I, my family more typically plants, well, then you go out there and you rip it, you know, at least three feet deep, maybe five feet deep. And when you do that, you would certainly obliterate these kinds of vernal pools that I'm speaking of. Okay. Um, it would be a problem if these are if these are jurisdictional wetlands that you can farm, but you can't destroy. Then there's a big, big difference between wheat farming, shallow tillage, and tree and vine preparations to plant a you know an orchard or vineyard that might go 20 years and the roots might go five, six feet underground. Um, so we started tilling it for wheat in 2011 in the fall. Global food crisis. You know, Mexico City tortilla riots. Arab Spring, because of a lack of food stability and security in the world. Um, even in here in America, the ag publications like the Ag Alert was running suicide prevention articles for American dairymen, young guys who'd leveraged up and were just hitting a wall financially and losing everything because the cost of feed was outpacing the cost of the milk they were selling. <clears throat> so as a crisis, we decided to produce food in the food crisis. The uh, Army Corps field agent came by and decided he thought we were we're deep ripping for orchards. So he called me and I said, come on, meet me in the field. I'll show you what we're doing. He didn't take me up on it. The next spring, he sent me a letter and said, cease and desist operations. You're destroying waters in the United States. You're deep ripping is this and that. So again, we sent a, a letter back from our environmental attorney that we worked with and said, please give us a hearing so we can show you what we're doing and you can show us what your evidence is that warrants a cease and desist letter. Well, the Army Corps of Engineers wouldn't come to the field, <clears throat> wouldn't give us a hearing, and, um, and, and still insisted on backing up their, do, their cease and desist order. Well, there's a group, the Pacific Legal Foundation, that many of us are familiar with, but more people are familiar with the American Civil Liberties Union, which is a civil liberties law firm, and they, they oftentimes represent farmers, landowners, people who want to build something, um, and they, they back up a lot of property, property rights from a um, civil liberties point of view. And so they filed a due process lawsuit on my behalf against the Army Corps of Engineers for not letting me farm my field without giving me a hearing and telling me why. Well, when the Army Corps of Engineers couldn't get that kicked out of court, they then um, countersued me for destruction of wetlands without even still having gone to the field and looked at what we did. Um, At that point, they then sent a a team of field experts, quote unquote, little finger quotes, um, field experts onto the property, 10 people for 10 days. They came back and reported the vernal pools are all still there. And the tillage was four to seven inches, which is consistent with wheat farming, not deep ripping for orchard preparations. And then they started inventing very spurious interpretations of what was a destroyed wetland and what wasn't. If you can picture a plowed field with little, you know, peaks and valleys across it, kind of like ruffles on a potato chip, um, but maybe five or six inches tall and 18 inches apart, peak to peak. Mm-hmm. They then came back with an unprecedented um, claim that the, the valleys of my plow furrows were still wetlands, but the peaks were, um, were now converted uplands. <laughs> and uh, so we, we nicknamed that Sierra de Minimis. So anyways... The Army Corps of Engineers claims and prosecution of my of my family and I were just incredibly ill-founded, 
spurious and retaliatory. Nonetheless, they, they found a friendly judge, a federal judge, who ruled that because our tillage implement moved soil vertically and moved it laterally as it entered a wetland, we, uh, we had to undeniably destroy wetlands. So we were found guilty in summary judgment and went on to the penalty phase of the trial. Uh, we never got our day in court. We never got to present evidence. We never got to present experts. Um, we didn't, we didn't get a trial. It was all in summary judgment, no jury. Um, one judge found us liable. We then went to the penalty phase and the army Corps of engineers and department of justice who were prosecuting us, uh, escalated their claims against us, suggesting the judge penalized us 28 to $40 million for planting wheat in a wheat field through 22 acres of a vernal pool, you know, which are, or wetlands uh-huh. um, that had been planted through dozens of times prior in the same way wow. and not destroyed. So it was a, it was one of the hallmark miscarriages of environmental prosecution America has seen. The American Farm Bureau put together the Duarte Defense Fund. The case had a lot of national recognition as a um, regulatory overreach. Um, we fought and fought, but at the end of the day, we had to settle the case because um, the Department of Justice and the judge, we felt, would um, not only find us guilty, but but find a fact, um, factual basis that we would not be able to appeal. However spurious it was, we, we can't appeal fact in appeals court. You can only appeal, appeal uh, interpretations of law. Mm-hmm. So we had a very high-profile wetlands case that was really much to do about nothing and um, a lot more to do with government bullying than... Um, than it was with protecting wetlands or water quality. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that story. So now that informs us as we head into the WOTUS um, process, the regulatory process that we're we're pushing back on in the in the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. The, the EPA actually takes the lead in determining what is a jurisdictional wetland and what is not a jurisdictional wetland. And ever since the Clean Water Act came about, there were there were agricultural exclusions. It was very clear that, you know, quote, plowing would never be a discharge and soil would never be a pollutant. Um, the, the Clean Water Act was a very well-compromised piece of legislation that protected drinking water quality and, um, and the environment uh, and really exempted agriculture and had some, some large exclusions for, you know, what, you know, things in the world that were wet but wouldn't be jurisdictional wetlands. It, it specifically gave jurisdiction to the EPA to regulate navigable waters of the United States. That does not include, in my opinion, small depressions across wheat fields in, in America or all farmland in America. So as we push back on the definition of the WOTUS rule in Congress, it really has very, very little challenge to the ability of the EPA to deliver clean water and safe drinking water to Americans and to protect our waterways against pollution and our harbors against pollution. Um, we're all on board with that. Where we're pushing back against um, the, the expansive definition of waters of the United States is that under this rule, it could well be that 90, 95% of America could be a jurisdictional wetland. When we applied the Obama Waters Rule um, in Farm Bureau and they looked at you know, what isn't a wetland in America, we found that over 90% of American lands are wetlands and if are jurisdictional, even though they're what no, not what anybody would call a wetland, it grabbed jurisdiction over them. 
So this, this would control any ability to respond to housing shortages. This would cause food shortages. This would stop progress in America and make almost every acre in America subject to onerous um, wetlands regulations and restrictions. Now, in conjunction with over-defining you know, what, what can qualify as a wetland, they're empowering their field agencies to decide finally on a given piece of property what is a wetland on a case-by-case basis. Well, my case is a farm case where a drive-by field agent didn't know the difference between 4- to 7-inch tillage and 30- to 36-inch tillage. We know these field agents are not resourced properly. They're not trained properly to, to regulate farmland in this expansive way. And it's a very much a threat to our food system to give them this expanded authority when they're really not managing the authority and the responsibilities they have very well already. Right. So we're, we're protecting the availability of, you know, American progress, housing, business, farming, by making sure that the definition of wetlands under the Clean Water Act stays what was originally intended by Congress, which is navigable waters of the United States and their tributaries, you know, major streams flowing into them. Right, right. How um how have other members of Congress reacted since hearing your story? You don't need to name names, but do you think you've changed any perspective since you've gotten here? Oh, I, I believe so. I believe when we start getting down to a common sense dialogue, and that's why I went into some detail in those in those um, outtakes you have on the for the Transportation Infrastructure Committee last week. Yeah, is it's really important that Congress understands, you know, both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, understand what we're talking about and how these jurisdictions and authorities um, on the part of the government can be abused. And, um, and that the Army Corps of Engineers also has a lot of very important work to do that they're not doing a very good job at. We've got flooding, the levee breaks all over my district. We've got levees that are breaking during, you know, twice in five years, flooding out grammar schools and neighborhoods. Um, the Army Corps says they can't get a permit from Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Wildlife, doesn't want to give the Army Corps a permit so that the, you know that they can let the local irrigation districts clean the ditches and levees to prevent flood problems, um, flooding homes, flooding out a lot of our working families in our area, and so the Army Corps has plenty to do that's within its legitimate jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act. It's important work they need to do to protect to protect water quality and to protect property and communities from flooding, and they're they're just doing a bad job of it. We, we certainly don't need the Army Corps of Engineers overlapping, you know, the cooperative extension, the farm advisors, the ag commissioners, the USDA, NRCS, and farm service agencies that are already present in every county in America that, does, that has any agriculture. And um, trying, to, trying to add another layer of agriculture regulation over the top of American food producers with uh, um, understaffed, already overtaxed uh, an unfamiliar regulatory um, group. Yeah, yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier the the settlement that you entered into. Um, aside from those kind of costs, what? Tell me a little bit about the cost for just permitting and other kind of compliance that that farmers or other small businesses have to have to face due to Otis. Sure. So, one example would be if you're going to plant an orchard or vineyard, do that kind of deep ripping that I described earlier. That's mm-hmm. really going to it will obliterate the vernal pools, no doubt. It will. Um, if you do that, then what you do is you get a delineation by a, a, an engineering group or an environmental engineering group, and they go out and they draw lines around all the all the wetland features on the property that they believe are jurisdictional. 
Then they go to the Army Corps of Engineers and do what's called the delineation verification process, which is then says, yes, if you if you stay out of those areas and don't rip through them, then you're okay. You don't, you know, you're not going to have a problem in terms of wetland regulations. Um, so you do that when you do an orchard or vineyard because, again, it's deep tillage. <clears throat> now, that can cost you $1,000 an acre or more. Huh. If you're going to plant wheat, you know, just a very low, low-impact, shallow-tilled um, crop that's been planted on the property many times before, and not going to destroy the verticals. They're all still there. If you had to go through that delineation verification process, we would simply have American farmers not plant certain lower value crops because it would be entirely uneconomic and the liabilities and costs wouldn't be uh, offset by the profits in the, mm-hmm. from the wheat growing. So if we, if we start taxing American farmers coast to coast with these kinds of compliance costs with an expanded water of the United States definition, and we're going to really interrupt our food system. And consumers are going to see even higher food inflation and scarcity. Interesting. So so now we have what's called the Congressional Review Act that you all are um, undertaking. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the CRA and um, just speak to why it's an important mechanism for Congress? Yeah, the Congressional Review Act is, is a very important mechanism. It basically allows Congress to vote against a, a major rulemaking by the agency. So we can look at the current WOTUS rule being put forward by the Biden administration. And under the Congressional Review Act, with simple majorities of both Congress and the Senate, we can, we can simply give it back to the agencies and say, no, this is not what we intended when we passed the Clean Water Act or whatever other piece of legislation they're referring to for their authorities. you got to take it back and bring you something else. And they cannot bring us another significantly or substantially similar um, regulation again. So we can reject their fine, re- reject their rulemaking and force them to go back to the drawing board and do something more consistent with congressional intent, congressional action. So that's what's happening now is Congress is getting ready to take a look at the, uh, the Biden Waters rule. I believe the Waters rule is too expansive. And we're, we're highly likely in the Congress to vote and say this is, is not consistent with, um, with our direction of the Clean Water Act. You've got to go back and, and, and make some changes and, and get more consistent. Now, the Senate would have to do that also. And I believe that there are some rural senators, some rural state senators, that, that very much need to look at this Congressional Review Act and insist they get to vote on it and, and reject this water school also. Now, another wrinkle... Adams, that's going on right now, is the Supreme Court is currently looking at these very same issues to decide, it's called the Sackett case, is a case at the Supreme Court now waiting for ruling to come down. That will hopefully give us clarity on what the, uh, what the courts say the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act is in terms of they have all kinds of terminology, navigable, tributaries, streams. And then um, adjacent wetlands, and then the the real reach that the that the agencies are using to to expand their authority is something they call the significant nexus definition, meaning you know if they if small wetlands can be grouped together and um, proved to have a significant biological, hydrologic, and physical nexus with um, major with regular with jurisdictional waters, 
then they can be counted as jurisdictional. Hmm. And, you know, the, this rule is spurious for a couple of reasons I won't go into, but the Supreme Court's about to give us a lot of important clarity on these issues. And so it's really a bad time for the Biden administration to be handing down a WOTUS rule um, that's going to be greatly clarified in the very near future. Well, there have been a lot of changes. There's a lot of nuance to WOTUS, um, and especially as administrations change. So we, we just really appreciate your perspective to better understand the challenges and the compliance challenges that small businesses face. Um, before we go, is there anything else that um, that you'd like to bring up or address regarding small businesses uh, before we wrap up? Well, I think no matter who your congressman is, I think small businesses need to be communicating with their congresspeople, you know, Democrat, Republicans, moderates, everybody, and explaining how important small business is and how we're the jobs engine of the country. And if we can get Democrats, Republicans working together on on good small business policy that creates jobs in all communities in America and makes America a great place to manufacture, America a great place to repatriate capital to, then we're we're solving our budget problems greatly by increasing our tax base. We're raising wages and getting people off the uh, the government programs more and more, and and Americans are just getting stronger with more opportunity. Um, across the board. So this is a bipartisan issue, and we need all American businesses talking to their their congressional representatives, whoever they are, Democrats and Republicans, to get great business policy to grow the American economy and grow American jobs. All right, Congressman John Duarte, I think that's a wonderful place to park this conversation. Again, we really appreciate your time today, um, the efforts that you're uh, putting forth on behalf of small businesses, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Adam. And I'm a very proud member of NFB. I've been one for years at my company, and my company is staying a member now. So thank you for what you do. Thank you, Congressman Duarte, for your time today. You heard us briefly discuss the Small Business Legal Center and their efforts on behalf of small businesses with regards to the WOTUS rule. To give us a little bit more detail about those efforts is Small Business Legal Center's Executive Director, Beth Melito. Well, thank you, Adam. And as you heard from the congressman, this is an extremely frustrating and complex area for small business owners. It's an area in which NFIB has been fighting for literally decades now. Um, We've been calling for clearer guidelines from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency on WOTUS issues. Um, And in short, um, we have said time and time again, um, as we did in our brief filed in the U.S. Supreme Court, last year in the case Sackett versus EPA, that EPA has gone outside its authority in the Clean Water Act. When Congress passed the Clean Water Act, it intended for EPA to have jurisdiction over truly navigable interstate waters. And we are now at the point where it's the proverbial story with a carpenter who has a hammer and everything in the world is his nail. It seems that for EPA, every ditch, stream, and pond is subject to WOTUS jurisdiction, and it's just absurd. And the congressman's story just really demonstrates how absurd, how frustrating, and how exceedingly expensive it is for small business owners to deal with WOTUS issues. The permitting costs are extraordinary, The time is ridiculous to um, file for permits and then wait for the EPA to determine whether or not it has jurisdiction over that ditch, stream, pond, 
the time and the expense that small business owners spend on reaching out to EPA and waiting to hear whether or not their land is subject to jurisdiction and whether or not they're going to need to file and obtain one of these very expensive permits to develop or use their land is ridiculous. We are waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court to rule in the case Sackett versus EPA. Um, believe it or not, this is the Sackett's second time before the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and NFIB filed a brief when the court heard their case several years ago. So they are back up before the court. Um, we anticipate that we'll receive a ruling from the court in the next few months. Um, and experts are predicting that the court's ruling will impact and potentially even nullify EPA's rule. That is why NFIB and others asked for EPA to hold off on issuing this new WOTUS rule and wait and see what is it the Supreme Court is going to do? What are they going to say about EPA's jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act? Thank you, Beth. For those of you interested in learning more about the Waters of the United States rule or contacting your elected officials to voice your concerns, NFIB's latest WOTUS fact sheet is linked in today's episode description. I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us on today's Small Business Rundown. We'll be back every two weeks bringing you small business news and analysis from Washington, D.C. and state capitals so that you, whether you're a business owner or a supporter of one, can continue to blaze a trail. The Small Business Rundown is brought to you by NFIB, the voice of small business. You can find us at NFIB.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.